Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Well, again, good morning. Uh, We're so thankful you're here worshiping with us. Again, if you're online, warm welcome to you as well. As you heard from the video, uh, we see God preparing us as a church to get ready for even greater, grander things in 2021. And the great thing that you uh, have as being part of this church, being a member of this church, is that we have a, a leadership team that desires and is humble enough to say, God, we need you to give us direction. We need you to... Uh, lead the way forward for us. And so as they do that for our church, we're able to hear what we see and sense God leading us to do, make decisions about. And so if you have any questions about the Christmas giving, please come and talk to uh, myself after the service. Uh, You can reach out online as well. We'd be happy to to discuss more details of that. But isn't it amazing how God uses things, even in the midst of of a pandemic, he uses his people, his gathering, his church to make an impact in the life of someone specific. Maybe you're that person here this morning. Maybe God has done something immense in your life in 2020. According to news media, according to everything else in the world, 2020 shouldn't be a year where you get to have new stuff, right? It shouldn't be a year where you get to have and experience great things. It should be a year of despair, a year of sadness, a year of like, oh my goodness, can we hurry up and get done with 2020? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't think that at 12.01 on January 1st, 2021, I don't think everything changes. Do you? Okay, good. There's a lot of laughter in the room today. That's good. Yeah, I don't think everything changes, right? I think, if anything, this year has been kind of the year of of promises made and promises under-delivering or promises broken, Right? Let's think about that for a moment. I'll I'll try not to step on too many people's toes today. Um, There are a lot of promises that have been made this year. Hey, I promise everything will be fine. I promise that uh, we're going to have lockdown for two weeks. That didn't happen, right? Hey, I promise you that if you vote for this person, this person will solve all the problems in the world. Hey, I promise you that if you don't vote for this person, that there'll be even more problems in the world. Over and over and over and over, we've had these promises made to us And over and over and over again, they seem to keep getting broken. Now, if you're a leader of of somebody, let's say that you own a business, or let's say that you are a teacher, or let's say that you're a parent, hopefully what you've learned this year is not to make a lot of promises, right? Let's think about that for a moment. Maybe it'd be too uh, hard to, to deal with, but hopefully you've learned as a leader not to make a lot of promises. Why? Because you cannot control every single situation and circumstance that 2020 has thrown at us. You just can't. And that's not something to be upset about. It's not something to, excuse me, to be in dismay over. But instead, it's just a reality that there's so many external factors going on in our world today that for you to make an absolute promise to another individual, it's really not wise. I don't know about you, I'm a parent, and this year has been the year of like unmet promises for my kids. 
Um, Daddy, you promised me that you would take me here. Daddy, you promised me that you would do this. Daddy, you promised. And it's one of those things of like, hey, I, like, I know I promised, but I can't help the fact that they closed. I can't help the fact that this happened. I can't help the fact that you're not allowed to do this or that. And for a child, an eight-year-old, to process this is kind of a hard thing. Maybe you've had somebody in your life that made a promise to you, and it hasn't quite come true yet. You know, this morning, we are in the second week of this new theme we're trying to focus on as we close out 2020. And it all revolves around God's promises to his people. It revolves around how do we remember the promises that he's made? How do we remember the covenants that he has made with his people? And it's one of those wonderful things that as we look at Christmas, right? You look around, you see the trees, you see the decorations. Everything is meant to remind us of this joyful time of giving. 2020, it's going to be kind of an odd, a little bit of a different year of giving, right? But as we look at all these symbols, as we look at all of these things, we need to be reminded as followers of Jesus that God has given us his promises. God has given us covenants. God has kind of equipped us to say, hey, I am with you. I've always been with you. I need you to see me. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at one of those promises. It's God's covenant with Abraham. We'll be mostly in Genesis chapter 15, but as we look at Genesis chapter 15 and we look at Abraham and we look at the promises that God has made to him, I want us to kind of make sure that we have the right framework in our mind. Um, I, a couple of weeks ago, I, I got to share with our teenagers, and this is something that uh, if you want to dive deeper in, we can talk uh, after the service, but there's something in the scripture called a meta-narrative, okay? It's a big, big theological word, but basically it shows that everything from Genesis to Revelation is all connected in one major story. It's the story of God's redemption of his creation, Starts at Genesis, and everything in between all the way to Revelation is all about God's desire for redemption with his creation. And these covenants that we're starting to look at on Sunday mornings, these covenants serve as kind of the framework to keep the story arc intact. They kind of help say, hey, here are the pillars and here are the things that we're going to remember about who God is. And here are the things that God is doing to say, listen, you don't see it right now here in, in ancient times. But centuries from now, you will see all of my promises, all of my covenants come to fruition. And there's one pinnacle, one key cornerstone, one key capstone for this whole story. And it's Jesus. That's what we'll celebrate on Christmas Eve. We'll celebrate together uh, his arrival, his birth. We'll celebrate that together because it's all part of God's redemptive plan. So our big idea today, we want to be reminded that God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. I want you to think about that as we kind of really start to dive in and look at his word and we really begin to see what it is that he is saying to Abraham. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, <clears throat> verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, just a little um, side note. I'm going to be talking about Abram. I'm going to be talking about him with his name Abram. Because at this point in Abram's life, his name has not yet changed to Abraham. Okay? His name from Abram to Abraham comes a couple more years into the future at this point in his life. 
But at this point in his life, Abram is around 75 years old, okay? So far, if you look back in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, God has already promised Abram, hey, you're going to have offspring. You're 75 years old. How many, you don't have to raise your hand. How many 75-year-olds, right? Uh, Or something else to consider, how many 75-year-olds really want to have offspring at this point, right? I know my great-grandmother, all she wants to do, she wants to see my kids and then give my kids back to me and say, see you later, see you next year, or something like that. Right, but it's one of those things. Think about that. Let's put yourself in his shoes. You're a 75-year-old, and God has been speaking to you, and you know it's the voice of this supernatural, almighty, powerful being. And he's saying, I will give you an offspring, and they will be a great nation. For Abram, 75, he's like, okay, that doesn't really make sense to me, but okay, and at this point in Abram's life, he had just gone through another kind of tumultuous event where he has a nephew. Nephew's name is Lot. And Lot was basically captured by these rival um, tribes around them. And Abram has to go with his, with his men and go and rescue Lot and bring him back. And so Abram right now is kind of in this place of anxiety. He's in this place of saying, what is going on? I'm having to fight all of these people. I remember, because a, a couple of days, months, years ago, God told me I would have an offspring. That hasn't happened yet. God also told me that I would be in charge of this land. But guess what? There are a lot of people here that I have to fight. There are a lot of people here who are attacking us. God, what in the world is going on? And that's where we're at right here in Genesis 15. Abram is in this place of anxiety. He's in this place of fear. And it says, God appears to Abram in a vision with a word of encouragement and blessing. I'm going to go on a bunch of little side tangents today, so just bear with me, right? But something I want us all to embrace and and hold on to is that we shouldn't try to box. We shouldn't try to box in the way that God speaks to you. Let me explain that a little bit more, right? Right here, it says that God spoke to Abram in a vision. God spoke to Abram in a vision. To be honest, Oftentimes, when you tell people, hey, I got a vision from God, and you told me this, most people are a little hesitant to say, really? Okay, you may be a little cuckoo, but like, I I don't know if that's really what happened. But if we look all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, we see that God speaks to individuals in unique ways. Even today, God speaks to individuals. I firmly believe God speaks to individuals through vision. All you have to do is go overseas and talk to foreign missionaries and ask them about testimonies of people who live in those countries and nations and ask them, hey, tell us how people come to know Jesus. And time after time after time after time, people will say, I had a dream. I had a vision where Jesus spoke to me and Jesus extended a hand and said, come and follow me. And they completely renounce their religion. They completely turn away from their family and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. God works in mysterious ways that you and I can't understand. But God never contradicts himself in what he says and what he believes. So if you have a vision, if, you, if, if a bird starts to talk to you, which is a whole other crazy thing, right? But if you have these instances that occur, something I want to encourage you with, always have this in your back pocket, is what is being said to me consistent with what this book says? 
If somebody shares a vision with you, if somebody says, this is what God told me, always ask yourself, what does God's word say first? Is it consistent with who he is? Is this consistent with what God has already said in his scripture? Is it consistent? Is it consistent? Is it consistent? The only way that you and I will know that is if we are in God's word and we understand his character. And that's what we have to hold on to. And that's what we have to kind of solidify first in our lives. What is, who is God? What is his character like? And can we truly trust him? And that's what Abram's doing. Abram is in this place of anxiety and fear. He's got all these promises floating around in his head. And he's like, this is just not happening, God. And God speaks to him in a vision. He kind of interjects into his life and says, the first thing he says is, fear not. Fear not. I'm with you. I am your, he says, I am your, I am your shield. I am your protection. Behind me, underneath me, nothing can come at you. Nothing can harm you. Nothing will destroy you. I am your protector. Fear not. In a year like 2020, a lot of us need to be reminded, fear not. God is our shield. God is our fortress. God is faithful to us. Do you, think, do you think God speaks to you in that way? Do you really believe that God is your shield? Do you really believe that God is your fortress? Do you really believe that God is looking at you and speaking to you in the mornings and saying, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, I'm with you. If you're not in that place, if you can't really trust and believe that God really is good in this season, in this year, in whatever situation of life that you have. Ask yourself some hard questions. Why am I not trusting him? Do I really not believe in who he is? Do I really not believe in his character? A great place for you and a great uh, homework assignment for you would be to go to Romans chapter eight. Write that down in your notes, put it on your screen if you're at home. But Romans chapter eight, go and tell yourself, I'm gonna memorize an entire chapter of the Bible between now and the end of this year. And what you'll find in Romans chapter eight are promises after promises after promises of God's goodness, his love, his faithfulness, his desire, his love of you. Romans chapter eight, write that down, you'll get a quiz later. But Romans chapter eight, we've got to go back to his word. We've got to go back to say, who is God? How do I believe in him? And how do I trust in him? Memorize Romans chapter eight. Another thing, be a student of God's word. You want to know if you can really trust in God's promises? Go to his word and say, what, number one, what are his promises? And number two, how many of his promises have been upheld? Give yourself that challenge and be a student of this word. Another thing that you need to do is be in connection and community with other people. Be in community with other people. You heard this morning in the video. He, he, he desired to see, he heard something from the Lord saying, hey, go and do this, go and do this. And he began to immerse himself in community, began to immerse himself around other brothers and sisters who were able to speak truth into his life. What truth? God's truth. If you don't have a Bible, come find me afterwards. I'll give you one. If you don't know how to read your Bible or study your Bible, come find me afterwards. I'll give you some quick and easy tips. But we have to be students of God's word and we have to be in community with one another. 
That is that spiritual family that we, that we see in Scripture that God calls us to. So Abram, let's go back to Abram. Abram's in this place where he's having to rest in God's assurances. He's having to rest in God's reassurances. I'm with you, I am your shield, and there will be a great reward for you in the end. So that right there, that statement right there should have given him enough, uh, you know, enough encouragement to say, okay, I'm gonna get up, it's gonna be a different day, I'm gonna engage, it's gonna be a great time. But instead, that's not how he responds, right? Turn your attention back towards Genesis 15. God tells him these truths, he gives him these reassurances, and then Abram responds, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless in the heir of my house as Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, <clears throat> excuse me, behold, you have given me no offspring. We don't know the kind of tone or inflection that is happening right here in these verses. But think about him in your mind for a moment, right? Think about him in your mind. Maybe he's super pious, like, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. It's a very pious response, right? Or maybe Abram's like, hey, I'm still childless. You told me all these things and it hasn't happened yet. I kind of feel like I sound like Pastor Jim right now. You told me all these things and it hasn't happened yet. Where are all these things? Where is it going to come to pass? Where is it going to happen? Or maybe he's humble and he's somber and he's sad. Or maybe he's reverent. Oh, Lord God, you promised me this, and I'm still childless. Behold, you've given me nothing, and it still hasn't come to pass. I think we can learn something about Abram's interaction with God. Because Abram, I think, asked this question of God in a reverent way. And it challenges me to think, how often do I talk to God in a reverent way? God, you said this, this hasn't happened yet. God, you said I get an F-350 in my driveway, it still hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> how do you ask God questions? How do you talk to him? How do you ask him the really hard stuff of like, God, this, this is painful. I want this not to be true. Why is this happening? I think we can learn from Abram. How do we respond? How do we reverently ask God our questions? But when we ask God those questions, are we ready to receive the answer that he has for us? Something we see that Abram has to do and that he does is he believes in God's promises. Abram believes in God's promises. Go back to the uh, passage with me, uh, Genesis chapter 15. He asks this question, and then God said, uh, look at verse 5. And God brought him outside and said to him, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're even able to number them. Then God said to Abram, so shall, your offering, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Again, I wish we could hear the tone and inflection. I don't think God is being sarcastic or rude or derogatory towards Abram. But instead, as a loving father, he ushers him outside, maybe with his arm around his shoulder, 
Just picture that for a moment. And God says, Abram, look up at the stars. See if you can even count them. This is who your offspring will be. This is the amount. This is the number of offspring that you will have. If God's got his arm around your shoulder, if God is walking with you, if God is showing you something and giving you even more promises, how would you respond? You're, you're, you are whack. Or is it a response of, oh my gosh, Father, I, I don't believe this. This can't be. For Abram, his response was, I believe you. I believe you. You know, Abram is one of those, uh, he's called the patriarch, okay? He's a patriarchal father figure. He kind of led and he is the head of the Jews. And Paul, centuries later, Paul was an apostle. He once was a Jewish religious leader, spent his life pursuing Christians, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, helping others to persecute and kill Christians. And so God met Saul on the road. And it was actually Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming after my church? Why are you doing this? And Saul in reverence, in recognition of how powerful Jesus is, completely repents and responds and changes from Saul to Paul. And God uses Paul to go and plant churches all across the known Middle East today. In Paul's primary ministry, what he was so amazing at was he would go and he would speak to Jews and Gentiles, so non-Jews. And when he was speaking to Gentiles and non-Jews, what Paul would do is he was a student of culture. He was a student of people. So when he would speak to them, he would know what they knew. He would understand their culture. He would understand their traditions. And he would speak into those things and help them see, do you not understand that God is, is the creator of all of this? Do you not understand that all these things point to Jesus? Do you not see that God is speaking in every, every single place in your world? And then he would go to the Jews and he would do the same thing. And Paul uses Abraham. He uses him as the primary example. Look right here, Genesis 15, 6. You need to highlight this, write this down, write it down. Remember it. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to Abram. God counted it to Abram as righteousness. This right here sets the pinnacle sets the pace forward, the path forward for salvation for you and I today. You see, Abram's faith propelled him forward. Abram chose to believe in God's promises. Abram chose to believe and trust what it was that God was saying. Paul quotes it centuries later, Romans chapter four, verse three. Write it down, you go look at it here in a little bit. Romans chapter four, verse three. And God credited Abram's faith to him as righteousness. Here's the crazy thing to think about. According to Paul, and then later in the book of Hebrews, what we see is that Abram, because of his faith, was saved. Let's think about that for a moment. It'll kind of blow your mind up a little bit. Abram believed God's promises, trusted, had faith. Centuries later, the law comes into place. God sends the law to his people because his people are not trusting him. His people are not following him. His people are not listening to him. So God brings the law to help them understand. 
But God, even in the midst of giving them the law, says this is not sufficient. This will not complete everything. There has to be a complete fulfillment, and there has to be a way where you are able to believe in your heart, in your whole heart. You have to be able to believe, and then you will be counted as righteous. You cannot do that by yourself. I will have to send someone to help you. That person will be my son, Jesus, because I love you, and I want you to be in this relationship with me. Fast forward, Abram is believing in God's promises. You and I as followers of Jesus today, or maybe you're here and you're checking things out and you're just, you're not quite there yet. The advantage, I would say, that you and I have is that we have Genesis through Revelation and that we can see God's promises, we can see the fulfillment of his promises and we can look at him and say, hey, if this is who God is, I can choose to trust him because he's consistent and he's purposeful. That's why we have this word. This is his revelation to us. It's him saying, this is who I am. This is what I desire for you. All we have to do to have salvation, to have righteousness, get this, all we have to do is believe. That's all we have to do, folks, is believe. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Okay, let's think about that for a moment. So you're telling me that if I'm in prison because I committed some kind of heinous crime, that I can believe in Jesus and I can be forgiven for my sin. According to God's word, absolutely. Okay, okay, let's wait, let's wait. You're telling me that if I treat my spouse in the most irrehensible way, And if I'm not a follower of Jesus and I treat my spouse in this kind of way, and then I come to a faith in Jesus, you're telling me that he no longer counts it as sin against me and that I'm forgiven for that sin. Are you telling me that that's true? According to God's word, absolutely. Okay, let's wait. Let's wait a second. So are you telling me that you can go inside the doors of Woodside Bible Church and not be more, not have a moral compass, and you're welcome to sit in the chairs and to hear the message of the gospel preached to me, that's okay for us to have happen, right? It should be. But God demonstrates his love for you and for me that even though we're still sinners, Jesus died for you. See, all of this is God demonstrating his love for us. Here in Abram's story, Abram didn't do anything to earn God's favor. Abram wasn't this proficient warrior. Abram wasn't this necessarily amazing person. Abram wasn't even a Jew because Jews didn't exist yet. Think about that for a moment. Abram, according to the way we define Jews and Gentiles, Abram was a Gentile before God spoke to him, God gave him promises, and Abram had a point in his life where where he had to choose to believe. Do you have a moment in your life where you've believed in Jesus, where you've confessed, Jesus, I believe in you. I know who you say that you are. I trust you. I don't know every detail about how I'm supposed to live the rest of my life as a Christian, but I know that you've saved me, and I put my hope and my trust in you. Amen. Hallelujah. You're saved. Not even a clap, it's okay. It's early. Now it's just forced and it's awkward. But God says, this is how you follow me. Contrast that to other religions around the world. 
where everything you do is based off of your merit. If you want eternity, if you want a good eternity, you have to do this, 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 and this. If you wanna have good things in life, you have to do this, 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 and this. Some of us grew up in very conservative Christian churches who told you what? You must not do this, 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 and this, because if you do those things, you're not a follower of Jesus. According to everything I read in this book, you show me otherwise, everything you read in this book says, this is how you have faith. So Abram's believing in God's promises. It's this deep truth, heart-centered place. And he goes and he says, now my life will be completely different. And it changes. And then we start to get into something called the covenant. Look with me down here, uh, verses 7 through 19. God says, this is who I am. This is what I've done for you. He keeps going and Abram responds, how am I gonna know that I can possess it? And then he goes through this very unique detail. And he says, here are all the things I need you to go and get. Go get a heifer, go get a pigeon, go get a ram, a turtle dove, right? Go get all these things and then lay them out in a specific way. Cut some of them in half in a certain way. Don't cut some of them and leave them on the table and wait for me. Anybody done that recently to celebrate Christmas? It says turtle dove, so it's a Christmas story, right? God says, go and get these things. And then I'm going to, uh, in in, uh, Old Testament theology, it's called cutting a covenant, okay? To make a covenant, it's something that uh, seals and deepens a promise that's been made. And God says, prepare all these things, and then... I will make the covenant with you. But here's where, again, God does something unique and different. Typically in a covenant, it's two individuals, it's two parties, both making the same promise, and then the physical act of cutting the animal and then burning it or whatever the process would be, that physical act was meant to symbolize what would happen to you if you broke that promise. Think about that. Our equivalent today of making covenants is what we do on wedding days. Those of you who are engaged, consider sacrificing animals at your wedding to make your covenants real. Please don't do that. That's odd. But this is what God is saying. He's saying, listen, this, we're going to make a covenant together. But then something unique happens. Because God comes to Abraham again. Abraham, it says, he finds himself in this deep, dark place. And then God appears again and says, here is what will happen. Down here at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be foreigners in a land that's not theirs. I will bring them to judgment, but you will go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age. And then the people will come back here in the fourth generation to this land. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram to your offspring, I give this land. See, what God did was he made the covenant without Abram. He didn't invite Abram to also pass through, to also cut through the offering. He didn't have him do that. Instead, God made the oath upon himself. You see that? He made the oath upon himself. Think about this flaming torch, 
uh, uh, smoking pot, right? Where do we see smoke and fire represent God in the history of the Jews? It's a couple centuries later when he leads his people out of Egypt and brings them back to this promised land that he had given to Abram so many years, four centuries before. God makes this covenant not because of Abraham. God makes this covenant with you not because of what you do. Is that drilling down deep enough in your heart and in your mind that you in and of yourself do not merit salvation, but God in his love for you does. So God gives us promises. We can trust in these promises. We can trust in him because of his character. God's promises are not based off of you, your own integrity, your own integrity or your own faithfulness, but it's completely based on him. Flip over with me, if you would, to Galatians. And I want us to begin to look at how all of this culminates into the person of Jesus. Galatians chapter three, starting at verse 14, listen to what it says. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, what is this blessing of Abraham? What is this promise of Abraham? That the offspring will have the land, that the offspring will inherit this place. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. These promises to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified, once it's been confirmed. Now, the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but rather referring to one, into your offspring, who is Christ. This covenant, this blessing, this promise that God has made to Abraham about this land and about your offspring is not just meant to be in this tangible realm, but instead it's meant to point towards a heavenly realm, and the offspring truly is Jesus. So if we follow God, if we follow Jesus, we can anticipate God's provision for a forever home. We can trust in that. We can trust that he's going to give us this forever home, and while it's not the physical borders, it's not the physical land mass. It's not, if you look on a map, okay, this is God's promised land. For the early Jews, that's what they saw. That's what they believed. That's what they looked towards. That's why when Jesus came, they said, surely you are not the Messiah. You have no army behind you. You are not a warrior. You're not leading this revolution in this place. Surely you are not the chosen one because the chosen one is supposed to bring us to the land. And what they failed to miss was that what God was promising, what God is entrusting to you and to I today is that there is a forever home and it's a heavenly dwelling place. We can trust and believe in God's promises, not because of the good things that you and I can do, but because of all the good things and amazing things that God has done. In this Christmas season, as we look at um, Christmas Eve, as we look at the birth of our Savior, let's be reminded that we can trust in his goodness, we can trust in his promises, and we can choose to also remember that God will provide an eternal home for all of us. 
if we put our hope and our faith in Him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.